I'm always listening for just that little moment that could potentially be reimagined as something new. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is a member of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Sven. And today I have Adam Porter from Wing Clipper. And you may know Adam from such bands as Mutual Concepts and Faded Black T-Shirt, which is his newest project. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Excellent. So... Today, we're going to be listening to your song, Ghost Dance, off of the album, or is it an EP? Uh, it's, I guess it's more of an EP. I mean, it was, a, it was released as a 7-inch vinyl record and a cassette tape with a bonus B-side. So, I don't know mm. really what you want to call that. So, for those that are wondering which album, EP, whatever we're listening, that we're talking about, is the album EP... Secrets of the Stars. So let's just give Ghost Dance a listen. Sounds great.
don't see any reason why we can't imagine that there are civilizations thousands or millions of years in advance of ourselves capable of technical feats that we, uh, we can hardly imagine. Welcome back, Adam. You know, my normal question would be, what comes first, the words or the music? But since this is predominantly an instrumental tune, let's just start off with like the nuts and bolts. What was the inspiration for this song? I would say there was multiple inspirations. One of the main reasons that I picked this song to share on the podcast with you was because it had been quite a while since I had done anything with wing clipper as far as personal creative music creation at home there were numerous reasons for that i was working on wing clipper earlier when i was in grad school and when i had more free time but there was kind of a five-year period where not only did i have three more children for a total of four so that obviously makes you very busy and you have a lot less free time but it was also the same time period that i was really trying to transition from being a student to having a career in audio or in media. And so I was working pretty hard and having kids. And so I took about a five or six year hiatus. And this song that we just listened to was really the kind of return of the Wing Clipper project. And it was the first kind of new production that I worked on and created, which was just a couple of years ago when when I kind of got back into it. It was when I kind of got to that point where I felt comfortable in my position and in my career and my classes were all established and families kind of established and my kids are all growing up and I felt like it was time to get back into that creative zone of making my own music outside of what I was doing professionally at work. So the song in particular is called Ghost Dance. The project is called Secrets of the Stars. Hopefully from the name of the album or EP or whatever you want to call it, it's pretty apparent that space and the stars were a big inspiration. You noticed that long vocal overlay at the end of what is kind of a, a three harder four four minute song that we listened to the the end of that kind of third part was carl sagan who was somebody who just inspired me a whole lot as a kid and he was obviously one of the most outspoken 
people as far as uh, the importance of exploring space and thinking about space and understanding the universe and how amazing the cosmos are and his series that were on network TV were so inspirational to a lot of kids including myself and that one story he told in that series had always stuck with me about that first book that he read about the stars when he was a kid in the library and that specific soundbite where you know he kept asking all the adults in his life like what are these bright lights in the sky and he could never get a, a clear direct answer of like what a star was and he finally got this book from his librarian and he read that a star was actually a sun just really far away and he he said that was the moment he knew mm -hmm. what he wanted to do with his life and what he was going to be passionate about and Honestly, that clip and having it on VHS tape and the idea of sampling it and including it in a song was kind of the start off point for Ghost Dance. And I had been working on that instrumental and it was very space themed as far as the, the samples I was using and just the feeling that it gave me. And then overlaying that, that vintage Carl Sagan soundbite over the top just kind of brought it all together. And then so I went ahead and made the other kind of two parts of that and it became Ghost Dance and the start of that Secrets of the Stars project. So I would say it was a combination of wanting to get back into making music, my passion for space and how amazing the universe is since I was a kid, and my love of sample-based music and bringing all sorts of bits and pieces from all sorts of different places to make and create new things. Would you say perhaps that with your career and everything that was going on that that the stars aligned for you, you to might, do this project. You might say that, Sven. <laughs> oh. That is a great way to think about it. I just figured a good dad joke would be a good way to... Absolutely. You know. <laughs> hey, you got a dad on the show, man. What's a better time for dad jokes? So when you first started with this particular song... Yeah. Which which section was, was your development, where you started first? It started with the third part. Uh, so oh. the end part with the Carl Sagan was really the jump off point for the project. When I continued to start working on more stuff, the first part that you heard really struck my ear as like, how it should start and then the middle part came last and it was kind of the bridge between the two gotcha. and uh, you know yes i am primarily a sample based musician as far as wing clipper is concerned a lot of my samples come from my record collecting when i'm digging for records i'm not only looking for music that i enjoy to listen to and play on my radio show but also a lot of times I'm going digging specifically just looking for source material to make mm. music with you know I don't go for like the typical soul records or jazz records but I'm more looking for like really obscure random stuff like Swedish records or French records uh, or R Russian soundtracks or just stuff that I've never heard before that I can explore and I'm always listening for just that little moment that could potentially be reimagined as something new. Yeah, let's let's talk about kind of your equipment that you're using to bring these sounds together cuz obviously you have something that's helping you develop the beats and then there's also a part that you're bringing the samples in. Are you using a computer to bring in those those samples, you know, construct the song, so to speak? 
So one of the most defining factors of Wing Clipper is that I don't use any software or computers to make the mm. music. A big part of that is that I work with computers and DAWs and software every single day at work. Uh -huh. And my day job is to teach students how to produce an audition for radio, how to record and mix in Pro Tools for music. And I found that after doing that nonstop during the day, it was hard for me to be inspired at night working with that same software and with that same mindset. So a way that I found for myself to kind of completely rethink the way I could make music and have that creative inspiration was to turn the computer off and to not use software and to only use hardware devices to make the music and then record it to tape. So that's how all the Wing Clipper music has been made is with hardware samplers, drum machines, and I uh, use tape decks or four track tape machines as my recording device. Most of mm. the beats are the finished versions were recorded live after a whole bunch of takes until I got it right, but it's the kind of approach where I can't really do much to the mix after it's recorded to tape because it kind of mm. just is what it is. Yeah. And it's a very different way of approaching making music for me than say how I teach it in my music recording class and like a typical how a typical rock song would be recorded and mixed it's kind of the opposite approach where I'm just throwing all these bits and pieces together with hardware and then I get the groove and the feel how I want it and then I commit 100% to tape and then it just is what it is and mm. it exists as it is and that's kind of the end of it and I move on you're you've already decided what level everything's going to be at and then you just drop it in rather than dropping it in and then deciding what level everything's going to be at exactly there's no fix it in the mix in this approach because the mix is happening while the song's being created mm. and it like i said it is what it is once it's recorded to tape which is very freeing for me and inspiring for me and it's just a really enjoyable way to make music it's not the only way i make music but for the wing clipper project that's the specific focus is kind of like you said doing it backwards or doing it opposite and really just committing uh, on the spot to what i'm making and then letting it exist as it is at the end of that session uh, because of this method i'm kind of surprised that you haven't performed live before because that's i mean to me, it's you're recording a live performance when you're recording right. your EPs or, or your, any of your projects yeah. with Wing Clipper. You're, you're generating a live sound. How do, you call, how do you pronounce that? Kaiju? Yeah, so my most recent project was uh, VHS2, Return of the Kaiju. Oh, and then okay. I had the, the release uh, that was in between VHS2 and The Secrets of the Stars that we listened to, which was Fresh Green have been my last three projects. I grew up with cassette tapes and then it was like, oh, look, this great new technology, CDs. So then I started collecting all sorts of CDs. So I feel like I'm, I'm having to go back and enjoy cassettes again. Cassettes are like vinyl. It still has that same experience. You can't just skip to track. You have to enjoy the album, you know, and... And you have to pause in between. You can listen to an A-side and a B-side, just like vinyl. Cassette tapes are my favorite music format. Oh, really? Even over vinyl? Yes. Oh. 
I mean, I think they're more labor intensive even than vinyl. I mean, with vinyl, it's pretty easy to move the needle and see the mm-hmm. groove of from track two to track five but on a tape you have to sit and wait through the fast forward and the rewind you never know unless you're counting the playback meter counter where the next song's gonna start or end i guess i think of the vhs like mtv used to play music videos so of course would sit at mtv and be like record record you know for each of those videos or whatever I just remember being like, yeah, I'd really like to know which ones I w- like at what counter. So I would reset it and then I'd forward it to the right spot and then write it down that it's at this, this track is at this one or, or this video is at this one. But it was never it, right. Oh, I would go back, I'd reset it and then it'd go. And then, but you know, to be fair, it was a crappy VHS player. So it wasn't like high quality at all. And I it was went- a mechanical. Uh, you hit the button to reset it back to zero. and If anybody can relate to that, I can, because I just did a real VHS tape project, and I went through six VCRs to finish that project. Mm. VCRs are finicky, especially now that they're 30 or 40 years old. It was a nightmare. I mean, that project was super fun. The biggest nightmare of the project was finding enough VCRs to get through the project that would not fail or <laughs> eat the tape. Yeah. Uh, but I still love them. And to be honest, I, I would like to listen to that. Um, and we have a VCR, but I'm like, oh, don't, I don't want it to eat it. Don't eat it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so let's 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 kind of circle back to right. your use of the VHS because you and to be honest, I'm not sure I even understand this process. Can you explain what, in terms of like a live or when you're recording, how do you use the VCR or a VHS tape to one, what seems like you generate samples, but you can also do some kind of visualization that glitches the the sound itself, if I'm understanding correctly. Okay, so I use the VCRs a bit differently in a recording scenario versus in the live performance scenario. So in the studio, I'm using the VHS tapes and the VCR primarily as source material. So the whole idea behind the VHS Return of the Kaiju project was the typical way that instrumental hip-hop is produced is you sample from vinyl records. So I was kind of taking that same approach, but rather than having vinyl records being the main source material, VHS tapes were the main source material. And specifically, not just any VHS tapes, but old kaiju films from Japan, which I love. All of the old monster movies. We're talking all the classic Godzillas, Godzilla versus mm. the sea monster, Godzilla versus Mothra. Also like the TV shows like Ultraman, so on and so forth. And so the idea was basically construct an instrumental hip-hop album the same way I typically would, but rather than using vinyl records for the melodic samples, I'm using uh, those films on VHS tape for the samples. So I'm sampling those movies Uh directly into the MPC, chopping them up, restructuring them, and then making beats out of them. In the live scenario, I've tried to kind of take that love of VHS tape and use of the VCR and integrate it into what was my first live performance at Svenstock. Thank you again for inviting me to be a part of that. It was super fun and great to do. I very much 
wanted if I was going to do a live show for there to be a visual element to it. And I wanted it to specifically be related to the use of VHS. And so it wasn't actually glitching the audio you were hearing through the speakers, but rather the audio was glitching the video you were seeing on the TV. Okay. So basically what, what I had going at, at Svenstock, for example, I had two VCRs running at the same time. Each of them had a different VHS tape playing. At your show, I had an old skate video playing on one, and I had an old kaiju film playing on the other. Both of those are run into a, what looks kind of like a DIY guitar pedal that has two separate video inputs. So basically two video channels are going into this video glitch mixer. And I have this control knob where I can go back and forth from one source to the other source. But the magic happens in the middle when they start blending together and glitching out. And then the the final piece of the puzzle is the glitch mixer has an audio input, which was just a send coming out of my mixer of the live feed of all my beats, which makes the glitching video in sync with the beat of the music and then all of that was run through a old tube crtv and just set up next mm-hmm. to me while i was performing so huh. hopefully that helps explain kind of what was happening yeah. there let's get back to this song ghost dance yeah why did you feel it was so important to have these like three parts together into one piece It's a good question and i think i have a pretty straightforward answer with it which is I don't like really any of my Wing Clipper songs to be longer than a minute and a half or so. I don't know if it's like a short attention span or I don't want there to be too much repetition or what it is, but the majority of the songs I make with this specific project are in the range of a minute long to two minutes max. And I think like a minute 25 is like the perfect length. So basically, what Ghost Dance is, is just three of those, a minute 20-ish long pieces, I felt were connected and worked together as a cohesive whole that were then sequenced together and pieced together into one four-minute piece. And there was another factor involved there as well, which was when I started working on it, I knew for sure that I wanted to release it on 7-inch vinyl. And the ideal length for a side of a seven inch vinyl is about four minutes long. So my thought was I can combine three short beats or songs that work really well together into one cohesive piece, give it one name and put it on side A. And then I did the same for side B, which was called Space Bike. It was more like five parts pieced together into four minutes, but it had a very similar approach, which enabled me to essentially put out what was more like an eight or nine beat album on seven inch vinyl, but it's really just two tracks. And so that was kind of my approach and why it was put together that way. Yes, maybe you have your beats to a length of about a minute and a half to two minutes, but... I feel like there's there's a sense of a narrative going on that you could almost think of it as this is a soundtrack to something. Do you think of it as kind of a soundtrack to something going on? I mean, I feel like you're like, yeah, you're kind of reading my mind and nailing it right on the head. I've always kind of envisioned when I listen back to my own music as it being kind of a soundtrack to a film that doesn't exist most of the projects have kind of a focus and like you said kind of a narrative that they follow 
musically. So like the Secrets of the Stars project was very influenced by space and space sounds and instrumentals that reminded me of that feeling, the expanse of the universe, etc. The next project, Fresh Green, I think was even more of a narrative. Uh, it was very specifically focused on a time period, a season, and a feeling that comes along with it. So Fresh Green is the name for the transition from spring to summer in Japan. And it's oh. a very short period of time, and it's when lots of things are blossoming and in bloom, and things come and go very quickly in that span of time. And that was the, the period of time that I was making the music, and I was specifically searching out for source material and samples that were all tied into this feeling of this season and this time. They all felt very connected in the way that they made me feel, and I hope that that was intentional and, and other people noticed that when listening. Obviously, with the VHS... You know, there, there's a narrative there that goes along with just the source material all coming from these old vintage VHS tapes that all had a similar kind of soundtrack style. And so a lot of the, the samples work together well and can be blended nicely. And then my new project that actually excitingly just listened to the final mastered sequence on the way here from Charleston. It's about a 40-minute drive to your place from my house, and the new project is about 40 minutes long, so I listened to it in its entirety on the way here. Need a couple tweaks, but it's almost done, and I'm really excited mm. about it, and, and it also, I think, has a really, hopefully, uh, distinct feel and, and hopefully, you know, works together as well as, as I feel that it does. Kaiju is a type of... TV, like kaiju is just the japanese term for large monster so when godzilla became popular they called him a kaiju because that was just the name for a big monster in japan that became a genre and there were all sorts of other kaiju all of these other monsters i mean all of those shows basically the premise was there's a hero like Ultraman, and mm -hmm. every episode there's a different kaiju that he saves the world from and so you see all these crazy different monsters. And what's awesome is every one of those episodes and every one of those monsters was just an actor in a suit. They were performing on these sets with these miniature buildings and they'd have the camera real low and they'd make it look like these were these giant monsters. And yeah. It's so beautiful watching back at how, to some eyes, it looks very fake. But I think the beauty and honestly how realistic they could make it look with that limited of technology is just amazing to me. Yeah, how do you feel about that where where Godzilla is is sometimes the hero or the villain? Yeah. Yeah, Toho constantly changed their mind on whether he was the good guy or the bad guy. You know, I think it just gave them more plot lines if they could change him from good to bad and back again depending on the storyline. Is there anything else that you'd like to kind of mention about this song in particular? It was an important step in getting the Wing Clipper project back rolling and getting me inspired to make new music again. So once I released Secrets of the Stars on 7-inch vinyl and cassette tape, I immediately started working on the next project, Fresh Green. That ended up being one that I was super proud of and I still actually enjoy listening back to every once in a while. I did actually a couple of runs of that on cassette tape. It's just continued me on a path of creating beyond 
what I'm doing at Parkland and all of the awesome stuff that we're doing up there, but doing kind of my own thing and being able to be creative and make new things outside of work is just really important. And so I'm just continuing to make new stuff. I made the VHS project. Now I've got this this new album, which is pretty much done, almost completely finished with the sequence. It's called Modern Archaic 2 or Future Vintage, which is kind of a continuation of my very first release. The idea is kind of taking it back to the basics. Hopefully people enjoy it. It'll be coming out either late this year or early next year. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004. Carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. So normally we talk about the Champaign-Urbana music scene, but I thought maybe we could dig into your role at Parkland College, their radio program, their recording studio, their classes on how to record people. The record studio is called Perimeter Road. Let's start off with what is your role or title or whatever at Parkland. So I am a faculty member at Parkland College in the Fine and Applied Arts Department, specifically in the communications program. I teach all of the audio classes at Parkland. So that includes a couple sections of broadcast announcing. It includes advanced radio production, and it also includes the music recording classes. I teach some other media classes as well, including intro to mass communication and intro to public speaking. But my main passion is audio, and that takes up primarily the majority of the classes that I teach. In addition to that, mm-hmm. I am the faculty advisor for the student-staffed record label, which, as you mentioned, is called Perimeter Road. So how did the Parkland recording program turn into a record label? Okay, so when I got hired and started working at Parkland a little over five years ago, I made it very clear that not only was I super excited about the opportunity to be a faculty at Parkland and teach all these audio courses, that I wanted to develop an on-campus music recording class. Parkland in the past had offered a what was called a recording studio class. It was a class that met off-campus at Mark Rubel's studio and he's now at Blackbird in Nashville. And there hadn't been anything recording related for a couple of years offered at Parkland. And my thought was, let's find a place where we can actually build a recording studio on campus and start offering music recording classes again. I was blessed enough to have administration and chairs and deans that were all supportive of that idea. So slowly but surely, 
we started to build a recording studio and the primary goal of that was to be able to teach music recording classes to students. So once we got that up and going, we had two classes, Introduction to Music Recording and Advanced Music Recording. It wasn't long after I got the first intro class going that we said, okay, what's another way that we can add added value for the students to this recording studio that we now have on campus? Because the reality of the matter is you can only go so far in the studio when you're just working on class projects for a grade. There's something to be said about experiences for things like real projects for real bands that are going to be actually distributed globally and heard on Spotify and Apple Music and to be able to get, you know, an extra line on your resume as an intern of a record label or as an engineer on a real album that was released. And so all of these things came together with the idea of let's develop a student-staffed record label on campus. We envisioned Perimeter Road as simply a kind of extracurricular volunteer opportunity for students who want more experience in the studio and want to work on real projects beyond the classroom. Do you feel like the Perimeter Road dovetails well with WPCD? Uh, It's a fantastic connection. So not only do we get a lot of students doing both, so taking the music recording classes and taking the radio classes, working as engineers in the studio and being DJs at the radio station, but we also cross-promote each other. So anything that's happening with the label, we're running promos for it on the radio station. Anything cool that the radio station's doing, we might utilize Perimeter Road to um, uh, to promote that. So I think we've got a really nice synchronicity between the record label and the radio station. The radio station's amazing. Once again, it's WPCD-FM. on the dial, Parkland College Radio, or an alternative format, and all of our DJs are students at Parkland who are trying to learn how to be DJs for a career. So it's a place for them. We call it a learning lab for students. That's our primary goal for the station. Obviously, we want the station to sound good. We want to play good music. We want to sound professional and put out high-quality content. But at the end of the day, Our primary objective is give students a place to learn how to do these things that they want to do as a career. Let's just talk a little bit about your show with Brian Dunn, The Analog Hour. It's Mondays at 9 a.m. All source materials are analog for the broadcast. How did that get started? I teach radio classes at Parkland every semester. I did radio when I was in college. I got to a point where I really wanted to get back on the radio beyond just teaching radio. I was ready to have my own show again. The other thing was I knew I didn't want to do a solo show. I wanted to do a show with a co-host, specifically, hopefully a show that was focused on playing records. And that was really the general idea. I waited for a year or two, kind of just with it in the back of my mind, waiting to maybe find the right person or find the right spark to have the show start. And developing my friendship with Brian was really what kick-started the show actually happening. So Brian Dunn was also one of my students who took my radio classes at Parkland. He wasn't at Parkland to specifically get a degree, but more to learn how to get better at podcasting and better at audio production. He was an amazing student. And then, interestingly enough, towards the very end of the advanced class, he brought a skateboard into class. He had skated to school that day. And I'm like, you skate? And 
he's like yeah and i'm like i skate and he's like what and like this whole time we'd known each other and you know and so then we found this connection through skateboarding he's become one of the number one people who i go skateboarding with which is another thing that i've gotten back into and very much enjoy another thing that really tied us together was we both collect records and tapes and so it seemed like the perfect fit. I asked Brian if he'd be interested in starting a radio show on 88.7. He was totally into it. And so we started it. We called it the Analog Hour. And the idea was we essentially turn off the automation system and no digital files play for the hours between 9 and 10 a.m. on Monday mornings on WPCD. We just play vinyl records and cassette tapes. And each week, we each bring in our own selection of records and tapes. We rarely plan those ahead. It's always kind of a surprise Mm. of what each other brings. And they generally really work well together. And we have a lot of fun talking about formats that we love, local music news. We play a lot of local labels and local artists. We try to put a lot of spotlight on cool things happening in Champaign-Urbana. Is is there something that you would hold up as... as a teacher like a moment in the five years that you've been at parkland as an example of like this is what teaching is all about i mean that's a great question it's hard to answer because i have so many rewarding moments all the time in my job which i feel so lucky to get to do what i do which is work with young adults who are passionate about audio and media and helping them hopefully achieve their dreams. Being an important role model or somebody who pushes them forward or who gives them the knowledge or the information that they need to move on to the next step in their career goals. So I, you know, there's been so many moments I'd say, you know, getting the record label established and doing our first release with the innkeepers was a really big moment for us um, because we were kind of officially a record label at that moment. Working with individual students in the studio, you know, Leah Bice was our first single that we released. We did a song with her called Stay that was just a really beautiful song on our first compilation album. And just kind of seeing her open up and being able to you know, share her beautiful musical talents and and have her see that transition into this finished song that so many people enjoyed and appreciated, I think was was a really powerful moment. And then thinking to something more recently, and you know, I could go on and on, like working with prevalence and um, and just things that I see happen in the classroom where you see a student get it and, you know, you see that light turn on and then they just get so excited about the possibilities of what they could do and what they could create. Pointing to one of the most important things looking recently that I think had a lot of value to the students and meant a lot to a lot of people and we worked really hard on was the, our first music festival that we did at Parkland College this past spring. Late last year, we started mulling around the idea of why don't we add some more experiences to the record label beyond what we're doing in the studio, specifically related to booking bands, event planning, and running a live show, which includes setup, live mixing, and all the other stuff that goes into that, which they weren't really getting any of those experiences. So our idea was let's do a live music festival and more specifically let's do it on parkland's campus and get people to come to parkland 
to see this amazing stuff that we're doing. So that was the plan. The students worked their butts off to make that actually happen. It was done through the record label. It was heavily promoted by the radio station as well, but it was the Perimeter Road students putting in the legwork, putting together an amazing set of artists and bands, working on photography and digital design, working on just managing um, all of the details. And it was something that did not just put itself together magically through hopefully some of my guidance and definitely shout out to Dean Geiken who helps me with the label as the label coordinator and and helped a lot of the moving parts come together for that for that live music festival but the end result was amazing we worked on it for months and months and when it happened we had bands like Nectar and Elsinore and the Data Waves and all of these huge local acts at Parkland playing on a stage to a group of over a hundred people who made the trek out to campus to see this music. All the music was mixed live by the students. You know, it was just something that when everybody left and we were breaking down, you could just see how proud everybody was of what we had accomplished and how well it went. And, you know, it's those moments where it's like, we did it. Like we Mm -hmm. put in all this work and effort and planning and we had so many meetings, but look what we did and look how awesome it turned out. And so it's stuff like that that I live for and and that makes me want to just keep doing what I'm doing for as long as possible. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Jubilee Cafe. Jubilee Cafe is a free weekly meal program at Community United Church of Christ, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign, Illinois. Jubilee Cafe serves a home-cooked meal from 5 to 6.30 each Monday. Their mission is to feed hungry people by cooking healthy, delicious meals and by serving their guests restaurant-style with servers waiting on tables. Jubilee Cafe is open to anyone who cares to eat with them. Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening, located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Adam. Yes. What? is your favorite non-musical thing being a dad oh yeah yeah i i i was gonna dollars to donuts be like skateboarding but that was being a dad yeah huh? i mean shout out to skateboarding i love it but yeah. it can't compare to being a dad really yeah so i guess what is your favorite thing about being a dad Oh, I mean, there's just so many things that I love about it. You know, I'll start with my oldest daughter, Lily, who myself and uh, Rachel, I mean, we had her when we were young. I was only 22. It really set me down the right path. Like, I immediately wanted to, like, achieve my goals and do good things so I could support Lily and make a good life for her. And so I was really focused on doing good in school and 
getting the degree and moving up and getting to a good job and all of that. So as a motivational factor, it was really important. But more than that, it's just like children are amazing. You know, they're they're constantly discovering new things and figuring things out. And there's that nature versus nurture discussion that people talk about. And I think there's no denying that there are some nurture elements involved in who a person becomes. And so their parents and what they're taught plays a big role in that. And so as we grew up and as I started moving into my career, we had more children. I now have four My oldest daughter, Lily, is now 14. She's a freshman in high school. I have three younger children. Annie is seven. She's in second grade. Sophie is six. She's in first grade. And my youngest, Oliver, or Ollie for short, is four years old, and he's in pre-K. So we've got a range from four-year-old to 14. And, you know, it's just being that most important role model, that person that these young people look to for guidance and for understanding and for, you know, how does this work? How do I do this? What does this mean? You get to be that person that helps guide them through all these questions and all these discoveries. And also speaking from a bit of a selfish perspective, it also lets me kind of relive my childhood over again, which is really awesome. So I like get to play with toys and watch cartoons (laughs) and, you know, teach them how to skateboard, help them learn how to shoot a basketball and like, I don't know. That's just until you experience those things, you just never realize how amazingly rewarding they are. So, you know, as much as I love skateboarding and making music and teaching, being a dad and having children and being their role model is definitely the most important thing in my life. And I have to give a shout out to my wife as well. Being a parent is would be very difficult solo. And thankfully, I've had an amazing partner through the process of being a parent. My wife, Rachel, is the most awesome mom and a great role model for them as well. And so also being a husband is a, is a, a fantastic part of my life as well. And my children wouldn't be nearly as amazing as they are without their mother mm-hmm. and her inspiration. And her DNA. And her DNA as well. <laughs> Adam? Thank you for being on the show and telling me all about your upcoming projects and the work that you're doing over at Parkland and being a parent. Gosh, how do you get anything else done in your day? I mean, it seems like it's pretty packed. Thank you for taking time today to sit and tell me all about it. And uh, thanks for coming out. It's been a real pleasure. It was super fun talking with you, Sven. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Champagne is Also a Band podcast. This is Adam Porter, also known as Wing Clipper, reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live.
You almost have an NPR voice, it's so good. Studio South Beaker on the inside.